0: Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. The With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Rinkman, David Bainey, Bob Rinkman, And be inspired.
1: Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, especially as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We'll be reviewing various works from the famed Appendix N, as termed by the revered Gary Gygax, and helping you prepare to serve them at your DCC RPG table. I'm David Beatty, and I am bringing with me on this adventure Bob Brinkman.
0: Hello there!
1: And the ever ravishing Jen Brinkman.
2: Hello there!
1: Welcome to the show, guys. Today, our appendix in selection for the show was suggested by Kevin Cyril, and it's going to be Elric of Melniboné by Michael Moorcock. And we're going to let Bob do the synopsis, because he does it so well. Well, thank you,
0: David. I'm going to use the synopsis from the publisher, which kind of covers more of Elric in general. But it's, The haunted, treacherous, and doomed albino sorcerer prince is one of the great creations of modern fantasy. An introspective weakling enthralled to his soul-eating sword, Stormbringer. He is yet a hero whose bloody adventures and wanderings lead inexorably to his decisive intervention in the war between the forces of law and chaos. A fantasy classic, Elric of Melnibone is an exceptional fantasy icon of violence, power, politics, and war, and his tales make up a fantasy masterpiece.
1: Well said, Bob.
0: Well read, Bob. Well read, yes. (laughs) The publisher knows what they're talking about.
1: Well, this is an awesome book. I mean, this is uh, probably my favorite one that we've gone over so far. I don't know how you guys felt about it.
0: I'm a huge fan of Michael Moorcock. His stuff is really good. I've read the Chronicles of Quorum. I've read some of the Hawkmoon stories. And Elric is, I think, my favorite of the Eternal Champion storylines.
1: Jen, had you read anything before?
2: Nope. I, once again, am going through life backwards. I'm going through all of the DCC stuff, and then I'm going through the sources of inspiration. You can tell, oh, that's where that part came from, and oh, oh, that's where he got that. (laughs) Okay. And, And it's clearly a staple to the majority of the DCC crowd, so... Okay, guys, I get it now.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm riding the same boat with you, Jen. This is a book that I should have read ages ago. And, you know, if it hadn't been for DCC, I probably would still consider I haven't read it. So uh, it's one thing I'm very thankful for with Joseph Goodman and the appendix in that he uh, has always harped on so strongly. I mean, I can see why, especially after reading this book.
2: Um, and some of the turns of phrases in the writing, I'm like, oh, okay, that's where Harley got this little tiny bit of of prose that he threw in over here or wow did michael curtis write that sentence i mean it's really evocative of what we've got in front of us now yeah okay i might be convinced to read the rest
1: <laughs> it, it, it all starts to come together when you when you start reading
2: yeah, it I and there's it. some really
0: cool things in there that you don't normally see you know, at the beginning of the book the hero of the story is already the emperor You know, how many times you read a sword and sorcery tale, whether it's Conan or someone else, and they're seeking that kingdom. They're looking for power. And here we've got this emperor who's sort of filled with ennui. He really doesn't care. He doesn't really like his people all that much to begin with.
2: And he's a little emo. I mean, (laughs) put it out there where it lies. Let's
0: face it, he's an albino wearing black. He was goth before goth was... I was gonna say cool, but
1: somewhere in the UK, Michael Moorcock just blushed. I'm, I'm pretty sure when you said that.
2: <laughs> he's EMO! Forgetful emo.
1: <laughs> You're right, though.
2: I, it's not saying he's a bad character, but it shows that even the heroes are flawed.
0: Yes. Yo, and and Elric is very flawed. I, I, that's one of the things that makes him so interesting. You know, physically, he's flawed, and yet as a person, I, you can't say human being because. The Multnomahians aren't human, but as a person, he's really not that bad of a guy. Certainly, he feels that he's trapped by fate, but he has ideas of his own. He doesn't just want to carry through doing the same thing because that's what tradition has always dictated.
2: Right, his new morality is seen as a flaw by the rest of his people.
0: Well, and that the concept of mercy is wholly new to them.
1: They kind of remind me a little bit of the drow. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, while they never really say what they are, they kind of remind me of a combination of elves. And, yeah, you know, like in South America, they found the mummies, where the heads have been bound, and so they're kind of pointed. And they actually talk about, you know, his tapering skull. It's not just this round head. And so the two of those things sort of combine in my mind's eye. Hmm.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well and and you're saying they're not human and have no sense of mercy. That explains things like their treatment of slaves. Like the music slaves. Oh, those surgically were awesome. altered to hold one perfect note. Or the yeah. slaves on a ship drugged for peak performance before they die twelve hours later.
0: Yeah, they just they're
2: uh, Yeah. <laughs>
1: not a good place to be a slave. Uh, that's no. that's for certain.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Nor to be captured. <laughs> As a spy or something. I think the artist was one of my favorite characters. Oh, yeah, the... uh... And and by artist, we mean interrogator.
1: What was his name again? Dr. Jest, was that his name?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he
1: was a very cool character, a master at his art of torture.
0: I winced a lot during that scene, so... um... (laughs)
2: Well, yeah. He was probably one of them surgically altering the music slaves.
0: (laughs) Um, See, one of the things that I really liked was the entire atmosphere of Elric's court. It was, in a lot of ways, very reminiscent of... The French nobility's court before the French Revolution, where he, as the emperor, is sitting upon his throne, looking down upon the court, and they're at the gala, and they're dancing, but really their responsibility is they're dancing for his pleasure. They dance for him, not for themselves. It's all sort of that, I'm better than you, you will do something for me, and that carries through from him all the way down to the slaves. Yeah, that's a good point. Well,
2: that's a little uh, Prince Prospero there, too, going back to the Red Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, (laughs) I was
1: going to say the last castle, because the people in the last castle were so just obsessed or consumed with their own existence, they didn't consider what was going on outside of their own castle walls, and it's almost like the Melibaneans are kind of oblivious to the fact that the barbarians are slowly starting to rise in power, or the city itself is, it seems like it's dwindling a little, you know, almost like their power is beginning to fade away.
2: Right. Yeah, they're, they're very in it for themselves. They're a bit hedonistic as well. They talk about the feasts and all that. During the Dance of Misery, after Elric is pronounced dead at one point, they were describing the ritual of that is <laughs> for the nobles to go out and try to impregnate yeah. as many women as possible to keep their line going. <laughs>
0: and the fact that for, was it the seven days of mourning, no one was allowed to sleep
2: they referred to that as the dance of misery and the wild dance and
0: that that so, so struck me though as a form of mourning goes sleep deprivation is pretty harsh yeah
1: but that's an awesome twist i've never even thought about that in any kind of adventure when someone's died or when you watch a movie and someone has died you never see people celebrating by doing a lot of drugs and trying to get as many people pregnant as i can
0: <laughs> guess you've been playing in the wrong games
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, okay, we get it now.
1: (laughs) I like the little bit of magic that was thrown into the world. The summoning ritual was just spooky, creepy. When the major power, Ariok, which is a, is he a demon lord, I believe?
0: A demon lord of chaos. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When Ariok was summoned at some point into the world, it was, uh, I thought that was really cool.
2: Oh, when he finally did the entire ritual, yeah, and and all of that was wordy enough to rival Lovecraft.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's so powerful and it's so nicely done.
2: And it only happens once, which is kind of a nice change from Lovecraft in that regard.
0: But the way that Ariok slowly starts to manifest, first there's a pair of dark eyes that he glimpses just sort of floating, and they look down, and they blink, and they vanish, and he's certain that he's failed, and then the black fly appears. Yeah, the, the fly, fly. has human eyes, and you know, that's really kind of creepy in and of itself, a fly with human eyes. Just...
1: Took me back to the movie Drag Me to Hell, was that the movie with the fly that was... I haven't seen that. I think, Uh,
0: Jen, didn't you see that? Wasn't that the one with, like, the investment bank or the mortgage broker who was just a vile human being?
2: Yeah, I tend to block out details (laughs) in most movies, though.
0: It's one of those movies where you root
1: for the monster.
2: Yeah, I I get more if I read the book.
1: Yeah, but it's definitely a a creepy summoning ceremony that you guys could uh, read and glean some really good information, maybe get some hints on how to run something similar in your game. And the maze I thought was really cool. You always have the typical seaports and
2: oh yeah this place is too good for a moat they've got to have a maze a
1: sea maze
0: <laughs> yeah the sea maze was really neat the fact there was like was it three or five different ways through but each pilot only knew one way through and it's used it, a it even brilliant had
2: effect cover on the top so nobody could get like an aerial view of it it was just high enough for their own ships
1: Yeah. And speaking of which, the ships sounded awesome. I had meant to before the show actually trying to pull up some conceptual art or maybe some of the mini-comics that have been done just to get an idea of how folks visualized those ships because they were described as golden ziggurats and I was just trying to picture that on the ocean.
0: Well, and the golden barges. Yeah. yeah. They're just these fantastic warships. They talk about like how many rows of oars they've got. They have steering in the front, aft, and in the middle, so they can essentially turn on a dime. They're incredible warships.
2: And I'm left here thinking, how does something that's square on all four sides have that much mobility, so you know there's some sort of magic going on in addition to Or there that.
0: might be a, a ziggurat atop some. I mean, since they're described as barges, and barges are generally a flat-bottomed vessel to begin with, it's kind of interesting. I, I think Dave's right. I'd like to see some of the concept art and some of the comics, and boy, there have been a lot of Elric comics out yeah. there.
1: I kept I kept going back, and I, I was trying to make myself not do it. Anytime I read ziggurat, <laughs> I kept thinking about... Um, Sailors on the Starless Sailors. Sea, because I was thinking yep. of the Ziggurat. This is the just like, no, don't, don't picture that because that's not what it is.
2: <laughs> but
0: wouldn't wouldn't that be an interesting twist in Sailors on the Starless Sea Ooh, to actually yeah. have it have the, the ziggurat, ziggurat on a barge? Yeah, uh,
2: the Ziggurat is the ship. Yeah, instead of that long ship.
0: Yeah, it'd be or you're it's another ship. It'd be interesting, but
2: so many ways you can go with. Well, that. and
0: there's so many things in this book that you could pull out and then you could stat up and bring to the table.
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm kind of sad that I don't have the expertise in statting up NPCs, because so many of the characters that you see just glimpses of are the ones that I would really love to build on and bring to the table, but I would probably end up doing that in an NPC fashion versus a monster.
0: Right. Sort of create almost a Melnebonian
1: rogues gallery.
2: Almost. I mean... Dr. Jest, definitely. Yeah,
1: and, you, and Yurikun, the, the, the and, vile cousin we all learned to hate.
2: Uh, he deserved every single drop of what he got. <laughs> um, Nayoon, who knew all. The character that the minute he says something, he has forgotten it. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. really,
0: that was so neat. He had learned everything, and he had to unlearn it all so he could return to the world of men. That was really neat.
2: And he was almost a tragic character. And it was just, it was brilliantly written. Well,
0: he was. He was very tragic. In today's world especially, I think so many people have known someone, at least, whose family has been touched by someone with dementia or Alzheimer's. Seeing a character like that really brings a particular poignancy, I think, to him.
2: That's an interesting thing. Because he
0: knows he's forgetting things but he knows that he has to. That's a good point. He was really
1: cool. The whole part of the story took place was really cool because that was somewhere in the nether realms, I think, wasn't it? Between the the world that they lived in and then the, the maybe hell or the abyss. Yeah. I will
2: say that the description of that shadow world did wonders for me and it'll be perfect for judges to just reread that little part around the beginning of book three of this, I believe. It's perfect for the judges who want to convey that you can't tell light or direction without a light source. It's possible there's a mountain over there, but you have no idea. You can feel the ground beneath you. You could feel a wall, perhaps, but without a light source of any great magnitude, you're in the dark, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and beyond just locales, there's things that have been, because because Elric has been such an influential character and because there have been so many role-playing references to him, there was the Elric role-playing game, then I think it became the Stormbringer role-playing system, Mm. he appeared in... The original deities and demigods. So there's a lot of stuff has been statted before, like Grom, the Earth Elemental King. There's been numerous versions of Stormbringer and Wornblade.
2: <laughs> like the one we just finally got from Whitebloom Mountain.
0: <laughs> right, Black Razor, right. And then there's other things though that I've never seen statted up anywhere that I'd I'd love to see, like the Groaning Mist Spell, or there was that the Mirror of Memory. Talk about a dangerous magic item. Something that you can mount that could anybody that, that gazes into it loses their memories and becomes just sort of stilled until you pour information back into them. The Actorious ring that they described that he wears, and they described at the very beginning where there's the stone and it's filled with almost like a shifting smoke. Yeah that intrigues me and it's something that
2: they never say what it does
0: well not in this book at least I mean the chronicles of Elric certainly go on for quite a ways gotcha but it, it would be interesting to stat it just based on this. There's a lot of things that you could stat based on this that, you know, four books down the line you might do them wholly differently, but that's okay. It's sort of yes. like statting a character from a book or a movie and then they change. The Stargate role-playing system did that. They had the Stargate SG-1 team and they'd have, okay, well here they are in season one and they're this level, here they are at season three, they're this level, here they are at season six, they're this level. And so you can have that progression you can do progression like that with magic items or twists, or you could just take the idea and run with it anyway.
2: That's true. There's no wrong way to do it.
0: Exactly. There is no There's no right or wrong way to stat things. And it was really cool. Dieter Zimmerman yeah. statted up some stuff and submitted it Yay. to us, which was
1: really cool. We love you, Dieter.
0: He did the Meldinbanan vitality drugs that Elric takes yeah. to keep his vitality up.
2: Well, we can leave a couple secrets.
0: Yeah, well, the, yeah, there's there's a couple things that'll be in the companion from Dieter, which is really really nice. And and keep in mind, you can always submit us stuff. We we love please. it. Please. Yes. Yes, please. please.
2: I, I, I want to do something a little bit out of the the normal realm everyone thinks of Elric's armor or swords. I want to stat up the artist tools that Doctor Just uses. Sicko. I mean, well. <laughs> or perhaps his trainees use them, but he has created them. Because he was not yeah. completely of a mortal design on the way he treated his quarry.
0: No, and and actually the fact that they survived some of the things that he did at all before he finished with them implies that there's certainly something going.
1: It was almost like he was painting a picture. He was, he was like an art. You know, he That's was a,
2: exactly it. They refer to him as an artist. And I think it would be a lot of fun to have just a pack of what appear to be the handles of paintbrushes. But as you pull them out, Ooh, yeah. it, you know, it's like a thieves' toolkit, but a little sharper, maybe.
1: That'd even make a good uh, prop for the game table. There you go.
2: Yeah. It'll keep your players on their toes.
1: <laughs>
2: or keep them in line, anyway.
0: Cheaper than buying a replica of Stormbringer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I think if you if you take Stormbringer out, it's going to have more of an impact on your players. They're going to probably... Uh, Lose limbs? They're going to mind you a little bit more, I think.
0: Well, there is that. Well, I don't know. Uh, if they've read this book and you start pulling out the scalpels and things <laughs> that Dr. Jess used, con- considering some of the things he did, I'm pretty sure that, uh, <laughs> that they would pay attention. I know I would.
2: Or if you're talking props, you could pull out little berries, yeah. It could be the uh poison fruit from those bushes. Uh the
1: Noidel bushes? Am I saying that right? Noidal bushes?
2: Your guess is as Probably. good as ours. Yeah,
1: we had a big <laughs> discussion before the show folks trying to make sure we were pronouncing things the correct way. And me being from the deep south. It was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm severely handicapped.
0: Well, and, you know, we were kind of trying to figure out Moulibnay, Moulibnay, and so we I pulled up an audiobook that has an intro by Michael Moorcock doing this big dramatic reading before the story actually starts, and really it goes back and forth between Moulibnay and Moulibnay pretty much with artistic license. He just sort of shifts back and forth. I think he's the only one that knows how to pronounce it actually, and he's just trying to keep it a secret.
1: Yeah. We're just going to have to get him on the show when we do another. Right? Oh, yeah, you know,
0: because I'm sure he'll be an easy guest to land. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Although yeah, we, We've got all sorts of clout. <laughs>
0: al- although, to be fair, he's worked with a lot of recording artists before, just not us. Uh, but there you at, go. That kind of goes, actually, to my thoughts on audio to bring to this, because Michael Moorcock, first of all, he did all of the lyrics for the song Black Blade, for Blue Oyster Cults, and the song is told from Elric's perspective. So it's not just a a song about Elric, it's from his point of view. And I think that sort of sets, in my mind, it sets a tone of the sort of music that fits with with Elric. If Moorcock was writing Elric songs with Blue Oyster Cult, then other things spring to mind like Shooting Shark... Astronomy and then he also wrote two other songs of them. He did Great Sun Jester and he did one of my favorite Blow Oyster cult songs, Veteran of Psychic Wars. I did not know that. Yes, wait, wait, that wait. was all written by Moorcock.
2: Great Sun Jester. Any relation To to Dr. Dr.
0: Jess, Jess? not that I was able to find. Ah, (laughs) crud. And then beyond them, he did a lot of work with another band called Hawkwind. And Hawkwind was very Eternal Champion inspired. They did an entire album inspired by the Eternal Champion, of which Elric is a facet, called Warrior on the Edge of Time. They Hmm. did. A series of spoken word pieces they did at live performances called The Chronicle of the Black Sword. and They released that as Live Chronicles, and Moorcock wrote lyrics for three other of their albums, Sonic Attack, Church of Hawkwind, and uh, Choose Your Masks. So Moorcock was really big on writing for some of these bands back in the day, and it all sort of fits. And for me, it creates that soundscape of the music that I hear when I'm in the world of Elric.
1: That was going to be my next question. You know, I haven't listened to any of these tracks. So when you do listen to them, I mean, is it a good matchup for a role playing session?
0: Well, it, it kind of depends. I think it's a better matchup for maybe like the mid to late 70s animated fantasy films. Like, if, have you seen Wizards, no. the Ralph Bakshi film? Um, That, or <laughs> or the 70s Lord of the Rings, or maybe even some of the early 80s sword and sorcery films. Yeah. You know, the music isn't as impactful and powerful as, say, the soundtrack to Conan. Right.
2: So maybe something for background, but not foreground.
0: Right, it's sort of fantasy prog rock. Now, there was another group out there. there's a There's a French black metal group called Hawkmoon, and their stuff for people that like heavier music in the background you can find at least a couple of their demo songs out on YouTube certainly fit with that darker vibe that you can have going during a combat or something like that just gives it that real oomph and and, uh, bite
1: when you go into like a combat sometimes that's actually a good sound to have like I've thrown in some of the sword kind of go into that Bruce Campbell mono mono, come get some fight it's (laughs) kind of cool to get this testosterone going a little bit
0: Oh, definitely. Well, Joe Kovac just put together a DCC community for music. to, to link to DCC, yeah. and there's a lot of great stuff in there. And I know I've seen Hawkwind you know, flow through there. Are people are posting links and videos of all sorts of stuff. And it's for a ton of me, different genres. yeah, oh yeah, a lot of different genres. That's when I realized that my dwarven character, his entire soundtrack, is really Chicago hardcore punk. Uh. <laughs> That's okay. That
2: makes sense, actually.
0: But, so there's there's so many great music resources, but for me, because Moorcock was actually involved in, in writing this stuff, it gives me that real link and feel, but I think it's more something, a lot of the stuff that I'm citing is good stuff to play, like before the session or after the session, maybe to get people in the mood. more than during. There's a lot of lyrical stuff, and someone someone singing and talking behind you while your players are talking doesn't work too well.
1: So it's a good uh, primer for someone who may be sitting down to jot down some notes and work on some encounters. Yeah,
2: I think so. Mm. Stuff we should all be listening to while we put the rest of the compendium together
1: <laughs>
0: yes Oh,
2: Canyon uh, versus compendium sorry.
0: yeah well and i certainly was doing just that well you know any excuse to listen to blue Oyster call it really but uh
2: <laughs> so we've got things to stat up we've got potential props
1: some good music selections
2: module inspirations now this is kind of a broad topic because technically we could list Anything that gives you a magic sword, or magic armor, or magic weapons, or healing potions. Yeah.
0: I think that'd be kind of a loose tie. That's not necessarily an inspiration as much. So
2: digging a little deeper, there is, in the new collection, the Tales of the Shudder Mountains that go along with the Chained Coffin box set. The new digest size one that just came out around Gen Con. Mm -hmm. There is one that features a plant that gives you a little type of fruit that may or may not have something to do with poison. Might actually be really cool, but...
0: That might be neat to link the two, yeah.
2: Just the standoff at the end with Ariok really put me in mind of both The Stronghold of the Wood Giant Shaman and Carnival of the Damned. Uh Because... You could technically outsmart it instead of fighting. This is true. That yeah. high power of chaos that you're dealing with, and in the books, pretty much what Elric does. He
0: oh, and that's really gets good to, to encourage. It. Your players shouldn't be able to think, "Oh, well, I've just... Oh, look, Cthulhu's in front of me. I come up to the top of his big toe. Let's kill him." <laughs> no, there are times when you're dealing with a power so great that you really need to be clever.
2: Well, speaking of giants, David, didn't you have something from Colossus Arise?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, when we were getting prepped for the show, some of the modules I was just kind of going through that I've read some. I haven't ran it yet, but Colossus Arise by Harley Stroh. There's a weapon in that that I thought was really cool. There were some things that I think kind of reminded me a little bit of some of the features of the world that the, the book was taking place in. But the sword, I think it was called Wispblade, and it was uh, part of a Titan, but it, it, it really reminded me a lot of Stormbringer. Even though, after reading the first book, you're, you're still not altogether sure what Stormbringer does. The sword Harley put in this adventure is pretty wicked. So if you guys need some inspiration, even just grab the adventure and check it out.
2: Well, similarly, of all people, Daniel Bishop gave me the tip-off to look into curse of the kingspire which is also by harley it's one that was recently converted huh so it's 88.5 in our dcc hierarchy here there's a sword that is highly inspired by stormbringer and to the point where there's over an entire page just dealing with this sword. wow
1: that's awesome And you know, things like that, of that great power, I think they really do need their own personality. And devoting that much time and space into something like that, it really gives it character. And I think it's something that people are always going to remember. You know, they're always going to remember that adventure and that particular item that they they encountered.
2: Well, yeah, because it's one thing to give a sword or a magic item a personality. But this even goes so far into the penalties based on your luck or whatnot and how long it's been since you fed the blade.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Well, and digressing just a second, when you're talking about blades, Jen mentioned how uh, Black Razor was certainly inspired by Stormbringer, and it's really sort of interesting to see that Stormbringer was probably inspired by Tolkien, because in Tolkien's stories, there's a black sword that stole life force from its victims. Um, Anglical, I think, and uh, Girthang were its names. I was talking to John Hirschberger because I was asking him about Black Blade Publishing, ah. and he's like, no, 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 we're not named for Stormbringer. We're we're named we're, we're named for the the sword from Middle Earth. And I realize so many magic swords have common roots that whether it's Excalibur, whether it's from Tolkien, or the person's drawing on Stormbringer. So when we're going through these modules and we're looking at them, a lot of times when you're thinking, wow, this kind of reminds me of Stormbringer, it's probably because the person writing it was going, ah, Stormbringer was really cool. It's <laughs> there's there's so many similarities, and I think for good reason. They're very iconic blades. Yeah,
1: and it's hard not to think of things like Stormbringer when you're designing really cool weapons and things like that. Cause... Although I
0: think Mournblade has the cooler name.
1: Yeah, I but you know they didn't really go into, a, well, they didn't really I guess uh, Morcock didn't really hit upon what either sword really is in the first book so I don't know if Mornblade was actually fleshed out in the later books or not later
0: on Mournblade actually is carried by Elric's companion Moonglum and and they in the later books they really get into what the Runeblades are and they are certainly not just swords
2: well hey maybe we can go over one of the future books in a later show,
0: oh, I'd love to revisit this. I mean it's it's far too classic not to,
1: yeah, we've got to, I think,
2: now, maybe uh, not the second book, but
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll skip forward a little bit, where I can listen to the books on tape while I work for the next six months, yeah, yeah, there we go.
1: <laughs> There's uh, another adventure, um, something, you know, I, I feel bad because I've bought a lot of adventures. You guys know when we go to these cons, we're just like throwing money at Joseph Goodman and all the uh, third party <laughs> publishers. Give me, give me yeah, You are
0: making it's sacrifices to the Dark Master. Is you sacrifice. True. <laughs> you for <sacrifice laughs> uh, filthy, filthy lucre.
1: We, uh, we all know Paul Wolf. He's a great guy. He's at a lot of the cons that we attend. And he put out something, I think his company is uh, Mystic Bull. Is that Mystic Bull yeah. Games? Yeah and uh, I picked up in the prison of the squid sorcerer several months ago I think when uh, Lulu had a sale I I bought it but it reminded me there's a part of the book where Elric and uh, the archer what was his name
0: uh um, um, That was Rakir. Rakir, Rakir yeah. the Red Archer. Rakir the Red.
1: Rakir the Red. Uh, when they were traveling to try and locate one of the two rune blades, uh, I'm not going to give too much of the story away, but one of the places that they were searching was a swamp, uh, the tunnel that runs under the swamp, if you guys remember. And there's an adventure in the, in the Prison of the Squid Saucer is several short adventures, and one of those is a swamp-based adventure uh, written by, I think, John Wilson. And, you know, something like that, it really, and I don't know, it fit, it's, it it brought that back to me, so I dug the book out, and I was like,
2: okay, yeah, I, I get that now.
1: But um, that was something yeah. that just kind of...
2: Sweet. I, I love those moments.
1: And even um, the intrigue at the Court of Chaos. I don't know, it seems like these characters in this book are such heavy players that Elric is having uh, dealings with Ariok, the the demon. Lord of Chaos, and it reminded me of the characters when I ran the group through Intrigue triggered the Court of Chaos, because, you know, they're basically dealing, wheeling and dealing with these major powers.
0: Yeah, that's nice. that's true, and that would be certainly right along these lines.
1: Yeah, Arioch would have sat well at one of those thrones in the Court of Chaos.
2: <laughs> I guess that brings us to our featured module for the show, Blades Against Death, again by Harley Stroh. It's not that we always have to show this guy love, but damn, you nail it, dude. (laughs) Well,
0: that, but, you know, Harley Stroh and Michael Curtis have written like 90% of the adventures from Goodman Games. Well,
2: yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. (laughs) If we've got to highlight some similarities here, you know, of course, they've got a magic sword as a quest item. And one of the things that really, really struck me is that, This adventure is done in almost a trilogy fashion, much like the three books of Elric, of, of this first one. And the last part of that is all a quest to save someone you love. You know, at the end, the main reason Elric is going through all of this and meets the archer is because he has to go stop your coon from doing what he's doing and get him back to the main their main world for lack of better words and end the spell that he has put on his sister to bring her back from the magical sleep
0: which reads like magical sleep straight out of dcc yeah
2: yes so in blades against death you are left traveling through a dark dank, underground-like place that was once a city. At the beginning of Book 3, you're you you're pretty much at the beginning of Act 3 in this module, and, you know, it's got a specific portal at the end, so you, you have a specific place you need to be to get to that final confrontation, and the portal leads to an area in which your final encounter sees you bargaining with, or maybe... Even cheating <laughs> a higher power or a god.
1: This is a good adventure to also use if you lose a character. You know, sometimes we go through uh, a year or, or maybe even more with a consistent group, and then all of a sudden somebody dies. And even though it's more of a reality with DCC, You still get that pout when it happens.
2: Well, especially because I think once you hit level 2 or 3, it's less likely that you're going to permanently die as a character. And you don't have to have had somebody lost or dead in your party to go through this campaign or, or this adventure. But the ultimate payoff, if you win, is that you could potentially bring somebody back from the dead because there are no resurrection spells in DCC.
0: Well, and I just have to say, when you talk about getting up to higher level and it being less likely that you're going to permanently die, and I say this as a person that, that has a dwarf that is now level six, mm-hmm. who is absolutely terrifying, but he's <laughs> he's, he's been recovered three times.
2: And And his his luck is dwindling. His luck is
0: dwindling, and and pretty much every time we go into combat, I'm like, well, he was a fun character. So (laughs) I think from a player's perspective, knowing that there's not just an easy resurrection, as luck starts going down, death starts looking more and more likely. And so Blades Against Death is really kind of cool in that respect, that someone could lose a character and then just keep going, and maybe... Six months down the line or a year down the line, then offer him that chance. Don't yeah. do it as an immediate thing. Hey, you died. guess what? we're going to bring you back
2: well and and as a player, Bob, you will appreciate that the carnifex makes an appearance of sorts Ooh! In Wilbur would so
0: one. be so happy <laughs> <laughs> my my other character who who claims to be her husband, yeah uh,
2: uh, <laughs> just slightly insane
0: S- slightly
2: yeah. But yeah, I think as far as splitting an adventure into a trilogy and matching the feel of book three of Elric of melnibone I think I said it right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shut up, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it really just struck me as a perfect corollary.
0: Yeah, I really tend to agree. At least from the standpoint of someone that knows a little bit about the module but hasn't played it yet and hasn't read it because he hasn't played it and, well, wants to be able to play it. Hey, um, I
2: haven't played it either. Ta-da!
0: But you've read it. Because <laughs> okay. you might run it. Because I might die.
2: Uh, <laughs> Ooh, cool. I know what we're doing in two weeks. <laughs> oh, crap.
0: Yeah. But I think running an adventure in chapters, or in, if you want to put it in more musical terms and movements, I think that if you're trying to tell a bit of a story along with the adventure itself, it's a really nice way to do things when you're planning things out. Okay, like like even using um, He Who Watches From Below, The One Who Watches From Below, The One Who Watches mm-hmm. From Below. First, there's, you go in you're sort of exploring the upper levels and hey there's these strange things going on and that's sort of the the first phase then you get into the dungeon crawl and then you get into the all hell breaks loose we need to get out of here alive and it it really does you know it doesn't have to be these huge sweeping story arcs so much as nice divisions that make sense for what you're trying to do uh and Joe Bidman does a really nice job with, with that, with uh, with that adventure.
2: And in most of his, he's got them segmented out in nice, digestible bits, so that if you, you know, if you're trying to run this entire storyline, you know, you obviously can't run a twenty-hour session. Yeah. So it's got some nice breaking points, but. I could say that about nearly everyone who's yeah. written for DCC third party or otherwise.
0: Some certainly play out a little bit more in a bit more of a linear fashion, more of a traditional you know, dungeon-style adventure, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I I love a good dungeon crawl as much as the next person, and the ones for DCC don't tend to be mega dungeons that are going to take me 12 sessions to play through, And and so I really enjoy those. Some of them certainly have a little bit more... To the story than is readily apparent, and I always appreciate that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this one, David?
1: I would just tell anyone who has not taken a chance on reading Elric, definitely pick it up because you'll fuel your own fires of creation. Uh, whether you're doing homebrew or if you're picking up a, a module to run, uh, it'll it'll definitely lend itself to that. I think. Yeah.
2: Very cool. Well, we hope you've heard something in the show that inspires you, the listener. If you'd like to chime in or have a suggestion for a future topic, uh, please email us at thehub@sanctum.media, at sanctum.media, and we'd love to see what you create based on the books we cover. Submit your creations to us, and we'll get them into a future issue of Our Companion, or we can post them on the site with our previous shows.
0: Or both. Yeah.
2: And as always, if you've got a convention or a road crew game coming up, let us know. Yeah, give us about a two-week lead, and that's our estimated publication cycle here. So with that, we will wish you happy gaming, and yeah, yeah, go read this book. (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) Definitely.
2: All right, have a great night, guys.
0: Good night. Take care, everybody. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us in three weeks' time when we explore the Argonia series of Elizabeth Ann Scarborough with The Song of Sorcery. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015.